Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. We do belong together. Happy Friday, everybody in St. Louis. I'm Michael Kelly. Who's that over there? Back at you, John Hancock here. John the Bachelor Hancock. Whoa, what's up with that? Well, I've, uh, my dear wife uh-huh. uh, is away for a long weekend. Yeah. With her father, uh-huh. uh, going and visiting their relatives in Detroit, mm. and so it's just me and Gus at the house. It's a very bizarre <clears throat> feeling. Are you not doing the like dishes? You're letting I am them doing pile the up. And I am not no. letting them pile up. In what fact, about ordering bad food? Are you ordering bad food? Well, I had a little uh, Caesar salad and calamari fritti for dinner last night. Calamari fritti is that fried? Uh, it is. Yeah, uh, good. It was very good. Uh-huh. I put the calamari in the salad. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was very tasty. So, I know I've got the house You know what up. calamari is, right? It's uh, octopus. Yeah, octopus buddy. yeah, you like octopus. Apparently, huh? I do. Ugh. Nasty. Well, they got, you know. Tastes like rubber bands to me. I like the legs. You're, the, oh, you're, you're a leg yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, do they have the ones with the little bitty legs, or are these just like uh, giant pieces of calamari, like little circles that well, they chew like rubber giant. bands? Uh, yeah. But they are little circles, yes. Yeah. And uh, not rubber bands. They're very uh, delectable. So what else uh, would a bachelor do? You sleeping in? Well, well not obviously morning, today, yeah, but I mean, yeah. like this weekend, you gonna make um, it to I ten a.m. I will. Uh, well, not ten a.m. probably, but I will uh, probably sleep. And I, but I do have responsibilities because Gus is there, and uh, he's got to get fed, and he's got to, you know, he's got a whole routine. Yeah, but uh, I, he's got his how taxing what can life be well, for he's gotta, he's gotta He lays around. His, he's got to take his medicine. He's got to. He's got to eat. He's got to go outside on a fairly regular. Uh, basis. He, g- he goes for a walk every night. I took him for his walk last night. He did very well. We went on a full walk. Last nice, night. nice. Yeah. Well, we, it's actually a hop uh-huh. because his, you know, he's got one bad leg. Yeah. So we, I take Gus for a hop. And uh, we, I'd love to see you hop. We hop around out there and uh, do our business and get home. I went to an event last night at Third Degree uh, Glass. You ever been there? No. Where is it? It's uh, on Delmar it? between Union and uh, Kings Highway. All right. Uh, I was at an event for Kids in the Middle. Uh, it's a oh, sure. uh, a charity that yeah. uh, deals with kids that whose parents are going through divorce, and it's a it's a great program. But uh, it was my uh, first event that I had been to at Third Degree Glass, where they had actual glass blowing that was going on. They're blowing the glass right there, right? Like, and the guys have got like uh, these uh, long tubes in their mouth, and they're spinning them, and they make beautiful objects. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it looked fun. Uh, I don't know that I'd want to do it. You don't want to blow glass. I'm afraid of burning myself. Well, you know, it's a very, you know, it's a skill, Michael. And, and uh-huh. uh, you know, it's a very delicate art uh, to, to blow the glass mm-hmm. and you've got to, you've got to have the consistency of the temperature, of course, right? Uh, because the kilns, yeah, whatever they are. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> but you want, uh. You know, you want to you want to spin the glass. It's a kind of a totally, spinning yes. uh, ac- uh, action that you're going through there. Yep. Or you're blowing through the tube. It's a technical word for that tube. It's uh, it's the glass blowing tube. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you're teaching me some stuff. Well, well it was. I had know. a lot of fun there, though. That I encourage you if you haven't been. They have a a little shop there. Uh, the of, of various artists that have made things affordable stuff. You know, like you get a bowl for twenty five, thirty bucks. So rather than going and giving somebody, you know, something they don't want, I mean, it's some decorative, good-looking glass. Yeah. I really enjoyed my time. They have little designs on them, the the glass? They did. They had colors and designs. And then they had an auction item there uh, for to go see Andy Cohen at his Watch What Happens live show. It went for a lot of money. Wow. Got me to thinking. I wonder if we could have a Watch What Happens live with Hancock and Kelly. Oh, I'd go for 20, 25 bucks. 25 bucks? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think uh, Sunday mornings that you know they could sure. come in and look at you and I and Andy as we get ready before to do the TV show? Yeah, yeah, that'd be uh, that'd be a fine auction night. Nearly a century of informing, entertaining, and serving St. Louis. KMOX. Good morning, St. Louis. It's Hancock and Kelly in for our regular Friday gig, and at this time every week we talk politics. Boy, it's a shame there's not much to cover this week. Wow. The world is crazy. There's no doubt about it. The president of the United States addressed the nation last night as it related to the crisis that's going on in Israel. He also tied it to Ukraine. Listen to this. I know these conflicts can seem far away. And it's natural to ask, why does this matter to America? So let me share with you 
why making sure Israel and Ukraine succeed is vital for America's national security. You know, history has taught us that when terrorists don't pay a price for their terror, when dictators don't pay a price for their aggression, they cause more chaos and death and more destruction. They keep going. And the cost and the threats to America and the world keep rising. So if we don't stop Putin's appetite for power and control in Ukraine, he won't limit himself just to Ukraine. He's, Putin's already threatened to remind, quote, remind Poland that their Western land was a gift from Russia. One of his top advisors, a former president of Russia, has called Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania Russia's Baltic provinces. These are all NATO allies. For 75 years, NATO has kept peace in Europe and has been the cornerstone of American security. And if Putin attacks a NATO ally, we will defend every inch of NATO which the treaty requires and calls for. John, the president last night taking the opportunity to use the Israel-Hamas conflict to also tie it to the conflict going on in Russia uh, and Ukraine, um, laid out a very solid argument. He's been steadfast since day one when Russia first invaded Ukraine and now since the attacks on Israel of our 100 uh, percent support for both the Ukraine and Israel. Your thoughts on the president's speech last night? Yeah, I think he has been very consistent. Uh, I find fault in his policy toward Libya. Uh, I think his policies toward Libya, uh, going back to the Obama administration, have not been helpful for peace in the Middle East. That said, I think he has taken a very good position. He's been resolute with it. I think that's important. Going to Israel, I think, was an important step for the U.S. president to take as well. And and I do agree that these these foreign conflicts demand our intent, our attention. Uh, a lot of people don't feel that way. A lot of people think we ought to focus and just protect ourselves here uh, in between those two oceans. I think that's a misguided uh, approach to foreign policy, and I think ultimately uh, that kind of an approach will create more chaos and destabilization all over the globe. A lot of people also think that uh, we seem to be solely siding with only the, the innocent citizens of Israel and not those of Palestine. The president had this to say. We can't stand by and stand silent when this happens. We must, without equivocation, denounce anti-Semitism. We must also, without equivocation, denounce Islamophobia. And to all you hurting, those of you hurting, I want you to know I see you. You belong. And I want to say this to you. You're all America. You're all America. We uh, find ourselves in, uh, like you said, the great conflict that's going on in our country right now seems to be this isolationist uh, thought process that exists in both parties. And then this, uh, you know, the United States um, is really the world leader and the world safer when we're in charge. There's no doubt about it. The president of the United States is in that camp. He faces resistance. Missouri may be a perfect example of that, John. We have Josh Hawley and Eric Schmidt who have been wavering uh, as it relates to the Russia-Ukraine thing, are steadfast behind Israel. Then we have our own congresswoman here, whatever, uh, Corey Bush, who's out there in support of uh, Palestine and Hamas. saying that this in Hamas, then that this is a horrible conflict. I mean, this is just what this president's navigating, and it's not just one side. It's coming at him from both sides. Yeah, and there, there's a real divide in the Democrat, and there has been for a long time, you know, and, and Joe Biden still articulates his support for the two-state solution, which would make Palestine an independent uh, international state, a nation-state. And that's been the, the position of Democrats for a long time. Israel does not favor that. Um, and, you know, this this whole thing over there is going to get pretty messy. It's already gotten very messy. You had the, the uh, hospital bombing the other day that Hamas was quick to blame on Israel. Israel has debunked that, I think, effectively. The United States intelligence has confirmed that Israel did not bomb that hospital. But the narrative throughout the Middle East, is that Israel did bomb that hospital. And you've got uh, many, many people on all sides of this thing outraged out in the streets, both pro-Palestinian, pro-Israel, and it's all over the world. I'm very fearful that this thing is going to escalate and involve more uh, 
players in the in the game. Well, it sure feels like that's the case. And as the president made this historic trip to Israel in the midst of this war, uh, he was scheduled to go to Egypt and have a conversation with the president of Egypt, Jordan, uh, and the leader of the Palestinian Authority. Uh, that was canceled pro- after this bombing took place. Right. At the, at the hospital, which they immediately blamed on Israel. It's been proven now that that's not the case. But the tensions in the Middle East, particularly as it relates to the Muslim community and the Jewish communities, uh, and this longstanding fit that these folks have had with each other since the time of Christ, if you will, uh, continues to go on, and it rears its head almost daily. Yeah, there've been uh, there've been flare-ups throughout. You know, you go back 50 years ago to the the war in 1967, um, and they've had temporary flare-ups uh, almost nonstop. But what we've not seen ever in Israel is a systematic, well-organized, multi-hundred, if not thousand, troop movement into Israel, slaughtering innocent women, children taking the elderly and children and women hostage, taking them back to Gaza. And at some point, Israel's going to go in. You've had this large movement of people now moving to the south. They're trying to figure out ways to get, you know, humanitarian assistance in, whether it's water or medical supplies, some food. You've got all of these people standing outside the border to Egypt, and Egypt doesn't want them. Egypt doesn't want the Palestinians. Yeah, and nobody's holding Egypt accountable for this. In fact, Egypt has not opened the border to allow the humanitarian aid to go in, but they're blaming the Israelis. I mean, I don't get it. Well, the bottom line here is Egypt does not want a bunch of, you know, reactionary terrorists coming into their country. I mean, that's what this is about. Right. Uh, you've got these radicalized Muslims who are the people that did the disaster in Israel a couple of weeks ago. And Egypt doesn't want any part of it. You know, they're trying to maintain a, a, a you know, calm, stable government. And the last thing they want are a bunch of jihadists coming in. Well, you talk about calm, stable government. We don't have one of those. In fact, we don't really even have a functioning House of Representatives. There's no Speaker of the House. Jim Jordan, the firebrand uh, insurrectionist, from my perspective, uh, from Ohio, uh, has been stepping up to try to run for speaker. He's been rejected twice. It'll probably happen for the third time today. Uh, He's going to lose. This Republican Party's in free fall. What is the Republican Party these days? Well, I don't think think Jim Jordan is going to be the speaker. And look, there are all kinds of different members of Congress, and— You've got the institutional members who believe in, you know, the maintenance of order and running the institution, a functioning Congress, passing legislation. And you've got people that are there for a host of other reasons, maybe to elevate their own profiles. I think there's a lot of that going on in Washington. Uh, They might be there because they have a particular passion about something. And so they pour all of their energies into that thing that they're particularly passionate about. Uh, And so there are different motivations. The reason that Jordan for speaker doesn't make a lot of sense to me is that he has never in his career, and I think he's in his 14th year, something like that, now, or 12th, uh, but whichever it is, he has never been a guy that has tried to come up through the institution and reach across the aisle to get some things done, find areas where you can agree, uh, be supportive of your colleagues, Uh, working through the appropriations process and ensuring that that's an orderly process and that the government is funded. All of those are things that members of Congress that are institutionalists will do. And those are the folks that build the relationships and they begin to ascend up the leadership platform. That's certainly the way Kevin McCarthy did it. That's certainly the way Steve Scalise did it. That's certainly the way Nancy Pelosi did it. Your boss, Dick Gephardt, back in the day, that's how he ascended into the speakership, by being part of the solution. And, and Jim Jordan just is not that guy. And you may love Jim Jordan, and you may love his, uh, his fighting spirit, but he's not a guy that can— and I don't think he would like the job of speaker, honestly, uh, because of what, what, what demands of it. Well, what is there to lead right now in the United States Congress? I mean, the Republicans cannot agree on what day it is. Um, whoever gets this job, and it shouldn't be Jim Jordan, but even if they brought back the, the ghost of Ronald Reagan, they're not going to be able to 
uh, mediate this ridiculousness that's going on in between uh, the factions inside the Republican Party. It's unfortunate. Hey, John, I got to, before we step away, I want to tell you about our good friend, Andy Banker. Yeah. Andy Banker is going to be participating uh, in the 22nd annual barbecue chili cookoff over there in Millstadt, Illinois. You ever been over to Millstadt? Is is the chili barbecued or is it a barbecue and It's chili. barbecue and chili. So we're not barbecuing the chili. That no. would be hard. There's and Andy's on a rib team being led by Fox 2, which is our team, you He's and I, Hancock and Kelly. Team. Yeah, and this is happening on Sunday, October 22nd over oh. at uh I don't know, Leiterkrans Park in Millstadt, oh, yes. Illinois. Leiterkrans Park over there where you'll be barbecuing your chili beans right there on the grill. $20 to get admission to go bucks. eat some of Andy's Easy ribs day. and uh, eat some of that chili. All the proceeds benefit Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Go out and help our friend Andy Banker on Sunday. And don't forget, you can see Hancock and Kelly on Sunday on Fox 2. Andy's ribs. There's nothing better. Hey, when we come back, what's this deal with Sydney Powell? That's next. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Happy Friday, St. Louis. It's Hancock and Kelly. Going to be a gorgeous weekend in St. Louis. Fall is upon us, John Hancock. It is. Best season it. here, isn't oh, it? Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Can you believe? I mean, we're less, what, a couple months away from Christmas, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, this is happening. <laughs> we got Halloween. Pretty much every year. Buddy. Yeah. Did you go get your pumpkin yet? Got the pumpkins. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, decorated the house. The house is decorated. Take the sheet off the tree so that you're ready for Christmas this year? Because I know you leave the tree up uh, year round. Well, uh, no. I mean, the tree is under the pool table. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah well, sometimes you take a while to, to, to get it down. I didn't there know was that. was that one year I may have left it up until <clears throat> Easter. The, the Masters. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Hey, uh, Sidney Powell was one of the uh, folks that was hand-in-glove with Rudy Giuliani that was helping push the false narrative that the election between Trump and Biden was stolen. The Kraken. Yeah. He was going to release the Kraken. What is the Kraken? Well, the Kraken was all the stuff. The tea, huh? She was going to spill the tea? Uh, the, yeah. And so she uh, was one of the staunchest supporters. She had put out some of the most ridiculous of those statements. But again, she was uh, hand in glove with Rudy Giuliani. She was a part of the conspiracy charges that took place in Georgia earlier this year. Um, And she's the first of the defendants to flip. Uh, Second, there was a minor player that that, uh, pled guilty as well. Any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I think she got a very good deal for herself. She potentially gets to keep her law license through this. Uh, six years of probation. She's got to pay a small fine. Um, she's got to write a letter of apology to the people of Georgia. That's weird. Uh, and she can't speak. And I think this is the most important part of the of the agreement. She's she's got to testify truthfully when called upon, and she's not to speak with any of the other co defendants or the press during until the trial's over. So, uh, all things considered, uh, she could have been facing some real prison time. And I think uh, I think she negotiated a very good deal for herself. And there's all this speculation out there that she's going to be throwing people under the bus, and we'll see. But I don't think there's any guarantee of that because we don't really know what happened. I mean, I thought the defense that Sidney Powell and Giuliani would take is that we were providing legal advice that our client wanted us to provide him, and. Uh, you know, the, the question in all of this, and this is a RICO conspiracy case being tried in Georgia, is was there a knowingly false narrative? In other words, did all of these people know that the election wasn't stolen and they they then conspired to create the perception that millions of Americans to this day still believe? Uh, that's really at the crux of the, of the RICO conspiracy. And, I mean, uh, Letitia or... Um, Fonnie Willis, the prosecutor in Fulton County, Georgia, she may be able to prove that case, but it's not been proven yet. Yeah, well, and you have um, you you have so many of these other cases that also include her. Uh, you know who does believe that what was being told by Rudy Giuliani and uh, Sidney Powell was false was the Trump team because they've argued in court in public documents that. 
no reasonable person would believe what yeah. we were saying. Well, that's, that was Sidney Powell's, <laughs> that's Sidney Powell's defense in the Smartmatic lawsuit. Yeah, no reasonable person would believe what yeah. we're saying. Yet half of, what, one-third of the Republican Party, maybe more, has more. bought into this idea. Um, and now you have to wonder, how does this affect the other cases? Now, this is happening in a state case in Georgia, mm-hmm. but it's not happening in a vacuum. Jack Smith sees what's going on here. One would have to ask if he's now negotiating with her to participate in the, some type of similar think, agreement. You would think, because any testimony she gives in Georgia, uh, while she's cut her deal with Georgia, she's not cut a deal, at least so far as we know, with Jack Smith. And anything she would then testify to in Georgia potentially could be, uh, you know, troublesome for her in the federal case. So I assume that the, that her attorneys are speaking to Jack Smith and trying to reach some kind of an agreement there. Uh, one one interesting insight I, I heard yesterday is that in these plea agreements in the federal system, it is very rare to plead something down from a felony to a misdemeanor. Right. Which is what happened here. They in make Georgia. you plead to a felony in the federal case. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, that's sort of the standard operating procedure. So, uh, but state uh, prosecutors have a greater leeway, and this is not that uncommon at the state level that you'll plead down. And there were 19 defendants in this Georgia case. The speculation is that several of them are going to reach a plea agreement and and testify. And and that's that's the whole point of bringing the RICO case in the first place is to get that kind of participation. So the walls seem to be collapsing around Donald Trump and his legal argument as it relates to January 6th. Folks are fall, falling left and right, turning over state's evidence. He finds himself sitting in court right now in New York. He's choosing to be there in the fraud case that he's dealing with on the appraised value of his properties mm-hmm. and lying to banks, etc., in the midst of this, we have these global crises going on in Ukraine and in Israel. Is is it possible that Donald Trump may be slowly becoming irrelevant because of circumstances outside of his own control? He's controlled the media narrative for so long. Now everybody's flipping on him and the world's focused on other issues. Well, there was a poll out this morning that among Republican voters, uh, Donald Trump leads with 59%. Good Lord. Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are tied at 8%. That's according to my calculations, Michael. That's a 51-point lead. Uh, you know, I just think the, the chances of anyone other than Donald Trump being the Republican nominee in 2024 are minuscule. And if the things that have transpired thus far have done nothing but move his numbers north among Republican voters, there's no reason to believe that some subsequent information is going to come out that's going to change the minds of a lot of voters, a lot of voters who think he's being persecuted and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'll tell you what I find interesting. We, we talked about it a little bit before the show today. But this this profound distrust and dislike of politicians <laughs> that exists in the electorate. I mean, there are people listening today who believe that every last one of them are crooked. They're part of the swamp. We've heard that term. Uh, They're corrupt. They're only out uh, to help themselves. And I wonder, I'll just throw this on the table here. Are people like you and I responsible for some of that because of the way campaigns are conducted in this country? And if you think about it, for a generation or more now, every election for every office you're saying my opponent is a crook, they're no good, they're unethical, they don't do anything, and and the opponent is saying, yes, and my opponent is no good, and they're unethical. Well, we've been telling people that all politicians are corrupt and unethical and no good for decades. Decades. And then we've had to use even stronger language, yeah. almost warlike language yeah. in the process. When it first started, it was, I'm going to go fight for working families. I'm going to go fight for you. Now it's, I'm going to blow up the establishment. Right. I'm going to go out and, you know, assassinate the nonsense. I mean, where we're headed, yeah, we're guilty of it. And I, I, you know, look at these school board races, John. Right. School boards, for God's sakes, these are about our kids. Library boards, fire boards are turning into the same type of narrative. We are just so into conflict and wanting to fight with each other. Well, it's no, it's no accident that we've spent multiple billions of dollars telling the people that their government and and the people who make it up are crooked. Uh, it's no accident that a lot of people believe that. Yeah. Well, a lot of people believe a lot of crazy things. And some of that is related to anti-Semitism. 
Uh, we're going to visit when we come back with um, the Jewish Federation of St. Louis, president and CEO, to talk about the changing environment that's happening to Jews across America, and across, across the world, the world yeah. uh, as anti-Semitism is on the rise and a conflict in the Middle East has put a spotlight on uh, all of this yet again. Hancock and Kelly back after this on KMOX. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference on News Radio 1120, KMOX. And welcome back to the Voice of St. Louis. It's the Hancock and Kelly show here on KMOX, and we're proud to be joined in studio by Brian Herstig. He's the president and CEO of the Jewish Federation of St. Louis. Brian, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. What a crazy, unbelievable time we are living in. Uh, particularly for our Jewish community friends here in St. Louis. Um, Just your general impressions of where we find ourselves today. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we never thought that we were going to be here. Um, And this has been a really, really difficult time for the Jewish community. Um, Whether you are from Israel or not, and most of us are not, um, part of our hearts and our souls is in Israel all the time. Well, there's no question about that. And I would think... uh, here in the St. Louis community, there's probably not a day that goes by where someone, a St. Louisan, is not in Israel, right? Yeah, absolutely. Not not only do we send people all the time and different organizations do, there are a lot of people from St. Louis who've moved to Israel, and now their children are actually being called up to serve um, in the Army. A lot of dual citizenships involved yeah. there, Some, several of them uh, hostages yeah. now in Gaza. Yeah. Um, the early onslaught a couple weeks ago when Hamas breached the the barricades and came over in a coordinated attack. Yeah. Uh, Many of those coordinated attacks took place in kibbutzes. Yeah. Uh, Describe, explain to our listeners, what is a kibbutz? Yeah, kibbutz is a collective living situation where everybody in the community, mostly farming, but can be um, like manufacturing, lives together. Um, all everybody takes on different responsibilities, taking care of the children, working in the fields, working wherever, b- cooking. You often traditionally would ex- you know, change those responsibilities. So every month or so, right, you do something different because everybody um, works as a collective together. I remember in high school, uh, one of my, well, my best friend in high school left and went to Israel to f- stay on a kibbutz for yeah. the summer. That's yeah. common. Yeah, very common. And these are, this is how the state was founded. Remember, this is a 75 year old country that was founded in a desert and they had to turn it into something viable. And so these agricultural kibbutzes were really the front line. And in this case, there are a lot of agricultural kibbutzes right along the Gaza envelope. And those were the first communities that were brutally attacked and murdered by these terrorists. Eight million people living in Israel today, give or take. Yeah. Um, massive loss of life already, uh, unprecedented in the history yeah. of this country. Um, I would have to imagine that most Israelis know someone uh, or know of someone who was killed or yeah. taken hostage. There's no, there's no seven degrees of separation in Israel. It's two degrees of separation. If it wasn't your kid or your family member, it was your neighbors. And that's what it's like in a country that is about the size of Rhode Island, where everybody participates in the military because they have to. Yeah, they have to, and they all are, and they are massed now at the border of Gaza. It's just a matter of days, I would think, before uh, they move in there. Yeah. Uh, How do you see this conflict playing out? Is there any way to, I mean, Israel's military, we know, is absolutely exceptional, but this is a very challenging endeavor. Yeah. I mean, the challenge is that this is a problem that's been going on for thousands of years. So it didn't come about quickly. It's not going to be solved quickly. You're also talking about two groups of people who are using very different rules of engagement. Israel has one of the strictest moral codes of any army in the world to protect citizens, whether it's their their own or on the other side. Um, But Hamas is a terrorist organization backed by Iran, and they do not have those same rules of engagement. In fact, as we saw the other day, they're shooting rockets from hospitals, churches, mosques, schools, one of which misfired and landed in the parking lot of a hospital. Um, but they also have been stopping their citizens from leaving the north of Gaza, as, as Israel has recommended. Four days ago, they gave 24-hour notice for people to get out. They have extended that because um, Hamas has told people, don't listen, and have put trucks in the middle of the road to stop them from going. It's really hard. Our hearts break 
for the citizens of, 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 of Gaza who are being controlled by a genocidal terrorist organization and aren't able to make the choices that they need to to protect their own lives. Last night, the president of the United States took to the national airwaves, spoke to the country, yeah. um, and, and also tied this a bit to Ukraine and the, yeah. the aggression that's coming from yeah. uh, Vladimir Putin. Yeah. What did it mean to the Jewish people here in America to hear the president of the United States speak so firmly yeah. about our support of Israel last night? Yeah. Think what you want about the president, and people have plenty of opinions. His full-throated uh, support of Israel, which is the key strategic ally for the United States in the Middle East, the only democracy. It is our partner who helped us fight ISIS and al-Qaeda. Um, and so his full-throated support is is a reflection of that, but extremely extremely um, comforting for the Jewish community, knowing that um, this island that's, again, as big as Rhode Island and is surrounded on all sides by countries and people that want to destroy it um, has a partner. So here we sit several thousand miles from Israel yeah. uh, as St. Louisans, and yeah. you run the Jewish Federation. First of all, how many Jewish folks are there in the St. Louis metro area? Yeah, so um, so there are about 60,000 Jews in in St. Louis. Okay. And what does the Jewish Federation do? Explain to us question. what your mission is. Yeah, it's really simple. We are the Jewish United Way. We help raise and distribute funds for needs that are identified. We do a lot of needs assessment to know what is going on in our community, where are the needs, what are the gaps in service um, that exist. And then we raise funds and the majority of them go to our 40 or so partners in the St. Louis area to support needs of not just our community, but the broader community. And some um, go overseas to Israel, to Ukraine, to anywhere where there's a Jew. So a lot of that would be, like you said, to programs that typically the United Way and other groups yeah. would uh, be supportive yeah. of. But here we find ourselves in these unique circumstances where Jews, unfortunately, are also being targeted. Yeah. So are you all coordinating some type of communication and response to make sure that yeah. the community is one, informed, and two, is has a, a, a message and a way to move forward in the midst of this craziness? Yeah, part of it we do, but part of it we rely on our partners. Um, we have certain partners like the Jewish Community Relations Council, the Anti-Defamation League, uh, the American Jewish uh, Committee. Uh, these are organizations that do this work specifically. Our job is to support them. They take the lead in developing relationships with our elected officials, with other faith leaders, bringing people together to address... Okay, how could I'm a Catholic? Yeah. How can a Catholic or a person yeah. of another faith be supportive of the Jewish community in this time? Obviously, yeah. there's probably heightened security at most synagogues, et cetera. Yeah. But so many of us find ourselves saying, we're supportive of Israel. What can yeah. I do? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Thank you. So, first of all, be informed about the truth. Um, Hamas is an Iranian backed terrorist organization. Find new sources that are reputable. Um, there's a lot of not reputable stuff out there, obviously. Second of all, if you know, uh, if you have a Jewish friend or neighbor, um, they're not all right. You can ask them. They're not. Provide some kind of support or words because this is a really, really trying time. But I think the two things that people can actually do is there's a national campaign, a blue ribbon campaign, in order to um, bring back unharmed the over 200 captives that have been taken, yeah. which include two dozen Americans um, dragged back to Gaza, mostly women, children, and babies. Um, and the last thing is, at a time like this, the best thing we can do is is support the needs that are going on, on the ground, short and long-term trauma care, medical supplies, rebuilding, whatever it is. And you can do that at our website at jfedstl.org. 100% of the dollars that are raised go directly to the people on the ground who are being impacted. Brian Herstig is our guest. He's the president and CEO of the Jewish Federation of St. Louis. Before we let you go, Brian, um, I have been blown away, shocked negatively by the protests worldwide uh, in support of Hamas and the Palestinians. Uh, Anti-Semitism is very real. Yeah. And it's global. Yeah. And uh, it just for it's just hard for me to conceptualize that kind of hatred. Yeah. And it's a lot of misinformation. There's not a genocide of Palestinian people going on. Uh, their uh, population has increased fivefold uh, since Israel was founded. There are, there's so much misinformation that's going on. And just understanding Hamas is a terrorist-based a backed um, a group from Iran. Um, there are good people on the other side who want to see peace too. Those are the people that we want to talk to.
So again, for those of us out there who want to be supportive and helpful, your organization is a resource that we can go yeah. to. Can you give your website and phone number and all the information one more time if you sure. don't mind? Sure. The best way is is to get is to go to jfed, jfedstl.org. We have resources, opportunity to donate, um, links to different resources and reputable news sources. That is Brian Herstig. He is the president and CEO of the Jewish Federation of St. Louis. Thanks so much for joining us in studio today, Brian. Blessings to you. And when we come back, Michael, Apple is into it with Jon Stewart. Oh, that's after the news. What defines us is who we are as a collective group and and, uh, how we progress and gain momentum through the season. The Coach's Corner with St. Louis City Coach Bradley Carnell. Mondays at 935 on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Well, Hancock and Kelly's show here, John. I don't know if you saw this, but you, you remember The Daily Show with John Stewart? Uh, I know of it. I don't know that I've ever watched it. So I guess it really got rolling in uh, the 2000s, and uh, John Stewart it ran was all the rage program. there. For yeah. And uh, he stepped away from it at the height of his uh, show. He went from 1999 to 2015. He turned the low-rated Comedy Central into must-see television with his evening show. Uh, He stepped away from it after a while, and of course that brought us John Oliver and so many of the other folks that are a part of our culture as well. Well, John Stewart, uh, just a couple of years ago, went to Apple, and Apple engaged him for a new program, and the program was called The Problem. I've watched it. Was called. Uh, Was called, right. And it's a cerebral program. It had a little bit of John John, uh, Stewart humor, but it was more of a, he'd he'd take an issue... um, uh, childhood cancer or et cetera, just various things that that were going on and examine them from all different aspects and bring people together. Well, uh, he was starting his third season of The Problem Where was this on thing Apple. airing? On Apple. On Apple Apple TV. Plus. Oh, okay. So Apple, obviously the biggest company on the planet. I think it's still the biggest company on the planet. If not, it's one of the top three. Right. Um, and uh, they were getting ready to go with season three. And it comes out that the problem with Jon Stewart, even in the midst of production for the third season, has been canceled. Uh, And it's being canceled as a result of, Jon Stewart says, uh, because Apple executives and he had disagreements over some topics that would be discussed, and specifically China and artificial intelligence. Hmm. Well, Apple is a tech company, and artificial intelligence, I'm sure, is playing a big role in the products they're coming forward with. China, we all know that nearly every one of these tech companies and, unfortunately, most companies make most of their products in China, uh, and also those are their customers. And so one has to read into it that Apple suddenly took the um, editorial rights to say, no, John Stewart, you're not going to talk about these as the problem because that is a problem that would directly affect us. This is probably not unique, is it? No, I don't think it is. And, uh, I mean, Apple... You know, they've got a business model that they're pursuing, and uh, this was a, you know, I'm sure a very small portion of their business is the John Stewart show, The Problem, whatever it was called. Right. And, uh, yeah, they didn't want him to but, just do something, and he didn't want to back down, and so they've they parted companies. I mean, that's the way right. these things work. But I do think the larger issue here is the issues. profound Two role. very big issues. Yeah. AI, which is you know, unfortunately, our government needs to catch up with how quickly this is moving. Yeah. And number two is China, who is becoming, I mean, we, we just saw President Xi, I don't even like to call him president, but whatever, President Xi and Vladimir Putin holding hands and pledging their allegiance to each other and saying the biggest problem in the world is the United States. Well, here's our biggest company who makes all their products over in China, uh, you know, you know, selling these products, making those products in China from somebody who's sitting with our arch enemy and uh, testifying that they no longer want the American world order. And, and China is, I think, the greatest threat long term to global stability uh, of any of these countries. I mean, Russia's military has been exposed for its lack of sophistication and uh, effectiveness, I think, in, in Ukraine. That's a good thing. They need to be defeated now in Ukraine. That would that would be a powerful statement uh, for the world to show. But, you know, you hear, and it's really both parties, you hear politicians talk about 
Tough talk. Yeah, we need to decouple with China. We need to pull out of there, all of which I agree with. My thing is, how are we going to do it? Well, and that's the question, right? Josh Hawley is one of the biggest leaders of this anti-China thing. But you don't hear him really talking about the fact that corporate America, the dirty secret is corporate America and the products that we buy in all of these places online or in these big box stores are coming from China. And so if we're really going to put the screws to China— don't we have to ultimately put the screws to Wall Street and tell them, listen, you've got to Apple, Google, uh, clothing companies, shoe companies. I mean, you could go on with everything. Even the devices you and I are communicating on right here are made in China. We're so dependent on them. How do we ever move away from it? Well, and I think, you know, I'm no expert on business uh, matters, but it would seem to me that there are some things that are higher risk than others for us to be co-mingled with China on. Shoes and and jackets and, you know, pants or whatever. I'm not greatly troubled if we if those things are manufactured in China. What I don't like is things that are cutting edge um, intellectual property. Chips. Yeah. The but, d- dependence on them for okay. those things is if you're going to decouple, I'm I'm all for decoupling altogether. But it seems to me like you've got there's got to be a starting place, and it would seem that high end technology uh, and probably drugs are the two places where we're going to want to get out from under that relationship. Right, John. And so help me navigate this. We hear a lot of very boisterous complaints, and I'm going to particularly pick on the right, saying, you know, we're so dependent on China, we have to go. At the same time, during the American Rescue Act, there was money put in there to build chips in the United States. In fact, they're going to build some of those transistor chips right here in St. Louis. All the Republicans voted against it. How do we go and take an industry that's so vital to us, which are these microchips, and say, hey, we need to bring them back to the United States. And here we are. We had a president who had a plan. It did pass. But the same people who are saying we need to separate from China wouldn't go out there and incentivize and support those to make it work. Well, I think incentivize is different than than handing over money. And where, where I think my team argues with the American Rescue Act, whatever you want to call it, is it's inflationary and it's just tossing money around. I would much rather see government policy incent businesses – to manufacture in the United States. And there's a host of ways to do that. There's capital gains reform. Uh, there are tax incentives, tax credits even, that can be given. Uh, you know, and it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, perhaps. But I think that incenting private businesses to do the right thing will result in the right thing uh, more often than, than just simply tossing some dollars at them. Kind of off topic, but right on topic, if you will. I will. Isn't this really coming down to the fact that China and the United States, and I'd throw the Ukrainian situation and to a lesser degree, but uh, some degree, the Israeli situation, isn't this really all about China pushing forward and, and Russia helping and Iran helping, saying we are sick of the United States being the currency of the world, yep. the leaders of the world, the thought leaders of the world, yeah. and... Uh, they're moving forward with all of this stuff, yet we are so dependent on these folks. Uh, it's going to be hard for us to separate ourselves. But it if will. we do, uh, we are Americans. We can find a way through this. We always have. Yep. And isn't that better for the long-term stability of our own country? I, I think it. I think it is. And and don't forget, China is every bit as dependent upon the American consumer uh, as we are. On them, I mean that's going to be difficult. The the one thing these nations all have in common, whether it be Vladimir Putin or Xi in China, uh, the Hamas militants in Palestine, um, the the imams in Iran, Kim Jong Un in North Korea. The one thing that the common theme that runs through all of them is that they are all dictatorial uh, thugs. Every last one of them. They are they are dictators. They are violent, and that really is the difference in the world today. Uh, the, there's, a, there's a democratic impulse uh, to, to live free in democracy uh, in giving the maximum liberty to people, and there are these authoritarian dictator thugs. Those are the two sides in the world today, and we're on the right side today uh, of that line, 
but there's a lot of authority, a lot of authoritarian tendencies in the United States uh, as we wake up this morning. Right, and there's lots of folks saying, "Hey, you know, we've got to separate from China." Why is it that Vladimir Putin is not seen as the same threat that he was in the '80s, uh, or is giving the same threatening language that we see folks using as, as it relates to Xi and China? I think that when the Soviet Union uh, was dissolved, now 30 years ago plus, uh, I think that Russia was viewed as less of a significant threat. I think that was wrong. I mean, you look what they're doing in Ukraine, and Joe Biden, you know, like him, hate him, whatever, he is right about if if you let Russia walk through Ukraine and seize that country, they are not going to stop there. Now, I don't know that they go to a NATO country immediately like the president was assuming. I think I could see them going south into Montenegro. That's not a NATO ally, but it's part of the old Soviet empire. Uh, but anybody that thinks that Vladimir Putin's designs are going to somehow change if we just let him have Ukraine, is that is the height of naivety. Well, for those of you who've listened to KMOX for a while, you know Charlie Brennan's been on a crusade as it relates to uh, people not getting their car license plates registered, and that aggravates him. It aggravates Hancock and Kelly. But there's another thing going on with automobiles that aggravates you and I as well. Very nefarious activity going on out there, and we'll talk about it next. KMOX, the 2023 Large Market Radio Station of the Year, recognized by the Missouri Broadcasters Association. KMOX, we were built for this. Well, we go now to the driving expert of the Hancock and Kelly show, none other than John Hancock. By the way, great job parking in the parking garage today. Well, I I took three shots at it. Yeah, good job. uh, I got right in there. I didn't hit the the truck next to me. It was a Camel X truck. I didn't want to hit that. No. But something has come to my attention, Michael. Please share. And it is, I think, on the verge of unconscionable. It should be illegal. I'm, be- I'm seeing these things popping up everywhere. They're everywhere. Driving down Clayton Road, there's one. Uh-huh. Parking the other day at the Pink Galleon, there's another one. Wow. In our very own parking lot here at the Voice of St. Louis where people come to work, uh-huh. adult people come to work, Right. there's one in the parking lot. What is it? It says on the back windshield, permit driver. What does that even mean? It means you don't have a driver's license. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there are hundreds if not thousands of people out there traversing our streets with a permit driver sign in the back of their window who are not permit drivers. It sure feels that way. But help me understand. Like, I understand people who are running around with the things not paying for their license plates. What are they getting from that? They're not having to give the government the money to be able to pay for their car. What? advantage do you have running around with a sticker that says you don't have a driver's license? Now you've asked the operative question. Yes. There can only be several reasons. Okay. (laughs) A, they don't want to get pulled over. So cops don't pull over permit drivers? They're like, oh, well, this guy's a nitwit because he doesn't have a license. I'm going to let him go. taking his little lesson right now. (laughs) The fact that he's swerving all over the lane there at 2 in the morning, uh, he's a permit driver. (laughs) So that would be one reason. Okay, all right. Second reason. All right. Nobody bothers you. Ah. You see another car out there. You know, somebody, don't you hate it when somebody, like, gets right in your back window right, there? You right, right. What do they call that? Tail, tail, tailgate shit? Tailgating yeah. on you. Oh, so you think the permit you driver makes people permit. say, oh, Ooh, let's give I'm these people messing, some distance. Not messing with that guy. Yeah, okay. Uh, he doesn't know. He's barely, he's barely old enough to <laughs> turn to the wheel. He can't point. even see over the wheel. So nobody messes with uh-huh. you when you're out there. So okay. you're not getting pulled over by the cops. Okay. Nobody's messing with you. And you've got this thing on the back. And uh, look. Kids today aren't even getting their driver's license. 16-year-old kids, 17-year-old, they're, right. they're not. No, I hear that. Because they've got their, they're on their little phone. All They can talk to their friends on their phone or whatever they're doing. They don't have to go see each other. They don't have to get in the car and go see each other. So uh, I guarantee you there are not that many permit drivers out there. And by what authority, by what authority are you able to put oh. a permit driver on your back windshield. Well, here would be a hypothesis I have. 6, 7, yes. 1-800-925-1120. Here's what I think. Yeah. I think the same people who give away the uh, emotional support dog stuff for yeah. the airport yeah. Yeah. are the same people who are handing out the permit drivers huh. because all of a sudden everybody needs emotional help with their dog and they're flying on an airplane and everybody's a permitted driver. 
But I, I've never gotten it. Now, I do keep distance from people who say permit driver. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that, that you person's You assume it's new. a 16-year-old kid driving exactly. a car for the, maybe, maybe the first time ever but is there on the other, roads. Do you think cops really look the other way from a permit driver? I would think they'd be looking to get in on them. Well, folks. so here's my next question, Michael. Okay. So here you got this conspiracy out there. There are people handing these things. Can you just go buy them at Walmart? Yeah. Well, you just go buy a permit driver uh-huh. and slap it in the window? Sure. Is there no penalty for lying? About your status as a driver. If if you're sitting there in the in the in the driver's seat of a car, right, with a driver's license in your billfold, uh huh, and you're sporting a permit driver sign on your back windshield, that should be punishable by at least a fine, if not prison. Well, there you go. And maybe the same guys who are out busting everybody for not, you know, paying their license fees to, uh, can get the permit drivers at the same. Oh, I'm sorry, nobody's getting those. Folks. Nobody gets anybody. <laughs> yeah. And we're just, we're just, we're just this this loosely letting people wander around out there, call themselves. They're identifying. That's what it is. That's what it is. They have identified as a permit driver. Really? And we're all for that these days. If you want well, to identify as a permit driver, you identify you, as a bad driver. I am a bad driver. Maybe you need a permit. I don't have a permit. I have a license. I'm going to get you a permit sticker. Now, it it did take me a little bit to figure out the whole parallel parking thing. Apparently, they've they've got cars now. What? uh, You press the button and it parallel parks for you. Oh yeah. Oh that, well, that's that's been coming for a while, and uh, I think people like you are the I need to get folks who necessitated that, the I reason hate, for that. I will I will drive around a block six times when when I have a meeting. John and out by you in the right. Central West End uh-huh. where everything's on the street. Uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I will I will leave twelve minutes early because yep. I figure I'm going to have to drive around the block five or six times before I can. Find a parking spot right there. And, and for those of you who think this is bluster, the stuff I say about Hancock and that he says about his driving, it is 100% true. I have no doubt that it took him three attempts to get the car into the lines today I in the perfect it, manner. But it looks good. But, and, it? and let me just tell you, when we walk out there today to head out, out to go to Snooker, he'll look at me and he'll do the same thing he does when he wins against Snooker. He'll go, hey, Kel. <laughs> You see the parking job I did there? Well, like, good. like, like he's a permit driver who needs a uh, some a praise for the fact get, that he put it between uh, the lines. I do need to get that dent fixed on the passenger door, though. Well, I got that from the side of my garage. Well, if anybody can ever explain to us uh, the permit driver thing, it would be helpful. If there's some special um, considerations that come with being a permit this. driver, I'd like to know. I'd consider putting one of those on my car if uh, if it was going to give me some special consideration. You know the people who, who buy the stickers all the time that say, oh, yeah, I gave to the police, uh, you know, athletic, thinking that's going to help them. When they're going by the cop at 90 miles an hour. Yeah, right. Proud, proud mm-hmm. of my Eagle Scout. That's another one. That'll, oh, that'll yeah. keep you from getting How about babies over. on board? Huh? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's with, a good with, one, with too. With a permit driver. Put both of those back there. And, you'll have everybody and, upset. And my kid's an honor roll student, too. Yeah. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, what a kid. Buddy, that's, that's it. I'll see Chris you Sunday morning at 830, right? Chris and Amy. want to thank Fox James too. O'Sullivan doing a great job. Frank Glad.